We're in this Sunday evening um, series that we've titled Stony Ground. Stony Ground. It is that path that is often tread. It's those, those ways that we walk upon repeatedly. And we've looked at some of those stony grounds in our own lives that need to be revisited. And the reason we're going to continue over the next few weeks to look at stony ground is because if you're anything like me, I'm not a one and done truth kind of a person. I wish I was, and that's, that is the truth. I wish I was a one and done. Um, how many of your parents ever applied the Board of Education to the Seat of Understanding? How many of your parents ever? Okay, lots of you. How many of you ever got the Board of Education applied to the Seat of Knowledge um, more than once for the exact same thing? Uh, were any of you ever like, any of your parents ever take you out of a church service because you were goofing around in church and your parents removed you and you're, you're, you're singing the song while you're going out, you know, Jesus, your mercy is all I need, okay? <laughs> so, you know, you're, you're hollering. Did any of you ever get taken out of a church service more than one time in the same service? I mean, there's going to be some weeping, wailing, and gnashing of teeth, okay? So th these are things that's like, wow, I, 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 I get corrected, and then I get corrected again and again. You know, when I think about the topic we're going to cover this evening, I, I have never preached this message before, but I have preached this topic on multiple occasions. And I suspect that if the Lord tarries and he allows me to continue to say, let's look into, then, then I will probably continue to speak on this topic. The Bible has a lot to say about it. In fact, the book of wisdom oftentimes concentrates its thinking around topics that we need continual reminders regarding. The Bible says in Proverbs 15, verse number 18, a wrathful man stirreth up strife, but he that, but he that is slow to anger appeaseth strife. Proverbs 22, 24, make no friendship with an angry man and with a furious man thou shalt not go. Proverbs 29, 22, an angry man stirreth up strife and a furious man aboundeth in transgression. Some time ago, we were on a church staff retreat. This was years ago when I was a youth pastor. And one of the people that was serving on our church staff at that time had a brother who did the seasonal sale of fireworks. And so he got these really great deals on fireworks and he got fireworks that I don't think were normally available to purchase. So we had some, some heavy duty fireworks and he brought them to this church staff retreat. Well, the place we were staying was a hunting camp and they had a lot of different rooms available. So it was a nice setting. It worked out great for a retreat. Um, and it was secluded. And so this guy that brought all the fireworks, we said, hey, let's go out. It was one evening. Let's go out. And this was a, a church staff retreat where our wives were present as well. In fact, Julie uh, may remember uh, this event quite well. So we're shooting off fireworks. And I mean, they're impressive. You know, they're loud. They're big. They're beautiful. We're shooting off fireworks. And, you know, you light them, and then you kind of get back, and, and you, know, you know, you just aren't standing right there when the thing's taking off. And so 
he lit one of them that had multiple, um, multiple blasts, okay? And a lot of them, you know, they're foom, foom, and it's just, you know, it's doing that thing where they just shoots out and then explodes. Well, he lit this and he took off. And after the first, you know, volley, the first round, the, the tube fell over, okay? And now this thing is foom, foom, and it is indiscriminate in how it is firing. And I'm telling you, it was both the funniest and the scariest thing, you know, all at the same time, because we are, we are running everywhere. I mean, we're, all of us pastors, we're, we're hiding behind our wives. We're, um, you know, <laughs> people are diving behind vehicles. And this thing is just, it is just firing, and it doesn't care where it's firing, of course. It's just firing into us. Uh, fortunately, um, nobody was tagged, okay? But I'm telling you, it was one of those precarious moments where someone could have been quite seriously injured because it didn't care where it landed. And I find that oftentimes when I become, sometimes we use the expression, man, that guy's hot under the collar. Or they were in a heated exchange. I have found that I don't really care so much what my words do or where they land and sometimes who they hurt because I have been at that moment controlled by something other than the one of whom I am to be controlled. The topic and the title of our message tonight is the stony ground of an angry spirit. The stony ground of an angry spirit. Let's hit some things briefly as we just start to identify what are some of the things that anger does. When, when we start to consider it in our own lives and, and as we observe it in the lives of others, what is it that we notice some of the characteristics of anger? The first thing we might note is anger displays. Anger displays. Okay, you say, well, what does it display? Well, the first thing we could say is, oh, that person is not happy. Well, clearly we know that. I mean, anger is oftentimes on display. We'll address in a few moments, there is sometimes this simmer, this slow boil. But I would submit to you that even that eventually becomes on display. There's something that happens when we have this angry spirit that cannot be hidden. It eventually starts to reveal itself. And you say, well, well, how does it reveal itself? Look at a couple of things again that Scripture says. Proverbs 12, verse number 16 says this. A fool's wrath, by the way, note how it describes the person. A fool's wrath is presently known, but a prudent man covereth shame. He's saying there is something clearly obvious about the person who, is, who has anger and wrath on full display. And there is something descriptive about this that he says, a fool's wrath. Well, that means that the person's acting foolishly. This might be entirely reasonable to the person who has exploded, but to everybody watching, this is a fool's, it's his characteristics. It's his actions, a fool's attitude. 
And these foolish things now are on full display. A fool's wrath is presently known. Everybody can see it except for the fool involved. Proverbs chapter 14, verse number 17. Again, using that same idea. He that is soon angry, he that is soon angry. What is it about that person? He that is soon angry dealeth foolishly. Like, listen, if you've got a short fuse, your actions are going to be marked by foolishness. You're going to start doing those things that can only be described by a word that no one honestly, readily embraces. Nobody wants to be known as, so to speak, the, 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 the fool in the mix. But this is what the Bible uses to describe the person who is soon angry, the short-fused person. And then a man of wicked devices is hated. Anger displays. It certainly did with Balaam. We won't take time to review the story from Numbers 22. But if you want to look at a practical example about a person whose anger now is on full display. And remember, Balaam is told by God, this is not of me. You're not supposed to be engaged in cursing my people, which Balak, the king, wants Balaam, the prophet, to do. So, so what happens? Well, he is bent on his will. This is what I want to do. Who's the most important person in the story at this moment? Well, clearly it's not God. And so what becomes rather obvious to everyone involved except for Balaam? Balaam, you're, you're playing the fool. And now Balaam's having an argument with his donkey? I mean, it does become rather comical if it weren't so sad because a fool's wrath is presently known. It's on display. So anger displays. What else does anger do? Anger distorts. Anger distorts. When you and I live with low levels of what we might call smoldering anger, we're living with a distorted view of life. And more often than not, a distorted view of God. Okay, now let's process. Let's think through this. When you and I have these, what we call these low-level, you know, um, smoldering issues with anger, we do have this distorted view of life, like there's something constantly simmering. We're looking through a lens that's not a clear lens, and ultimately, if we, if we honestly trace it back, why do we have this constant smoldering anger, these undercurrents of frustration? Well, because we're not happy with what life is offering to us. Okay, now let me ask you, how many of you have always had life offer you everything you wanted it to offer? I mean, everything that you wanted, like, like the, the temperature is exactly right, and the people are exactly right, and their interactions with you are exactly right, and your income level is exactly right, and your college is exactly right, your employer is exactly right, your church is exactly right, your spouse is just right, your children are just right, you're, and you fill in the blank. How many of you have ever had life treat you always exactly how you wanted it to treat you? Well, it just doesn't. Okay, and, and then if we back that up just a little bit, when we say, well, life doesn't treat me like I want to be treated, really, who's behind life? So 
who are we really saying is not treating me correctly? And you know, if you and I can only have some kind of, you know, this side of eternity satisfaction, if life is treating us correctly, we're going to have this constant smoldering anger. It's, it's always just underneath the surface and ready to reveal itself whenever something, whenever life doesn't treat us exactly as we want to be treated. So when I don't think I have what I need, what I want, for example, freedom of choice, friendships that I desire, certain abilities, access, I don't get the recognition I think I deserve, when my spouse is not what I want or I don't have a spouse, children, respect, on and on. My ability to truly enjoy the life that I have is going to be radically distorted. Anger distorts. What else does anger do? Just briefly, anger denies. Anger denies. It's not my issue. This is not my fault. Well, what would anybody do in my situation? And then sometimes we even, you know, we make some excuses and we do so in in an attempt to deny. Well, that's just the way I am. Uh, you know, I just, I just vent and get it all out. And, and oftentimes we leave, you know, the, the fragments of people that we've vented on in our wake. Well, you know, that's the way I was raised. Listen, if we use those excuses for every area of life, we become unresponsible, maybe we should say irresponsible for everything in life. Anger displays, anger distorts, anger denies, ultimately anger destroys. Anger destroys. Proverbs chapter 28, 25, verse number 28, the Bible says this, he that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. Okay, here's what it's saying. The person who can't control themselves, no control, like we are, we are the proverbial puppet on somebody else's string. And we, we are dancing in anger to whatever it is that they, they, they move us whatever way and we are completely controlled now by another. You say, well, 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 you know, what does this have to do with anger destroys? Okay, the person who has no rule over their own spirit they are like a city that is absolutely defenseless. The enemy can have their way with you. Whatever they desire, they can have because we are completely wide open to whatever it is that the enemy desires to do. We become vulnerable. We become defenseless. We become the city that is broken down and without walls. If you think about the walls that are broken down, and then we start to ascribe that to, well, well, I've been wronged by this person. Okay, you may have been wronged, but when you have no rule over your own spirit, you are absolutely controlled by others. Yeah, but they're the ones who, I'm not talking about the they're the ones, I'm talking about us, me, you. When we can't control our own spirit 
It doesn't matter if they've done wrong or not. There is something that's supposed to be our defense against the wrong. And then think about how that makes us susceptible to future challenges, future issues, future problems. For example, for lack of a better illustration, let's just use for illustration purposes. Let's say that a guy and a girl are dating. Okay, so you got a guy and a girl. They've been dating. They've been dating for some months. And it's getting more and more serious. But eventually he just says, okay, I'm, I, I want out and I'm done. And she's very hurt and, and understandably so. But now there's something that starts in her regarding this guy. And then this is, this is not what happens to everybody because everybody doesn't deal with this the same way. But you know, there are some people who like that guy hurt me. And now I not only want to hurt back at him, they become, in a sense, defenseless in anger to other guys. And now, well, well now I'm, I'm angry at, at guys because, well, this guy hurt me and now that person might hurt me. Okay, let's take it down another track. How about a person who's been hurt spiritually in a church? Well, this, I, I was hurt spiritually in a church. This happened to me and, and nobody can deny. In fact, everybody knows this happened to me at a church. It shouldn't have happened. It was wrong and, and they shouldn't have done that. True. Okay, let's just acknowledge that shouldn't have happened. The church did wrong. But now every church becomes the problem. And now I, I, have to, I have to lead this charge against churches because that church hurt me. Do you know what's happened to this person, sadly, is this person is like a defenseless city. And now the only answer that they have is, well, well, I've got to hurt everybody. And in a sense, I'm angry at a lot of people because I've been hurt. I, I feel for this person because now they're the city that's broken down and without walls. Anger destroys. The destructive aspect of sinful anger is different from what we call righteous indignation. In that sinful anger is like this bomb that destroys everything in its path. Whereas sinless anger is more surgical. It's more targeted, more precise. So with that said, let's, let's turn our thinking just slightly regarding anger. And let's not only address this matter of anger displays, it distorts, anger denies, anger destroys. But as we, as we wrap things up, let's address the matter of anger defended. Anger defended. Is there a place for anger? You know, at times we, we do strive to use you know, godly anger, and we've misdefined it. We use it as an, excuse, as an excuse for our own. It's not what we're trying to do here. And it can be easily misconstrued. So let's start to walk through some things regarding anger defended and see what place is there in the life of a believer regarding anger. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, many are quite familiar with this passage. Here it says, be ye angry and sin not. Did you catch that? Be ye angry 
Okay, if, if, if God says, be ye, you be loving, okay, would we take that as a recommendation or would we take that as a command? When, when God says, you be ye, you be loving, well, we would say, God's telling me to do something. Let's take that and start to even consider, be ye, you be angry. And as you are, detach that from sin. Be ye angry and sin not. You get the idea that God's almost saying there is not just a place, there's an expectation that people just like you and people just like me would have a place for anger. The Greek word that's used here, be angry. It's not referencing this momentary outward boiling over rage or this inward seething resentment. Rather, it seems to indicate this deep-seated, determined and settled conviction. Like there is something here that is just and right and true that was just infringed upon. When God is angry, let's take a couple moments to at least acknowledge what happens when God is angry. When God is angry, he is slow to anger. So the first thing that we should say, okay, if I'm gonna defend anger, let's at least note how is it that God displays his. Well, when God is angry, he is slow to anger. The Bible repeats this idea repeatedly. We won't look at all of them. Psalm 103, verse number eight. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and plenteous in mercy. <laughs> what a balance we have here. Okay, so the Lord merciful and gracious, slow to anger, plenteous in mercy. Nehemiah chapter nine, verse number 17. Thou art a God ready to pardon, gracious and merciful, here it is again, slow to anger and of great kindness. Okay, God is not short-fused. God is not the, the kind of God who like, ooh, be careful around God, you might set him off. There are sometimes people that we feel like I have to tiptoe around that person. Man, sometimes a spouse, we're just kind of tiptoeing around. We don't want to set them off. Sometimes a roommate, the whole room is on edge because they might say something that bothers so-and-so. A work environment, like, man, it is so, when so-and-so walks into the room, they show up for work, everybody's just like, ah, a little, it's, there's more tension. You could, sometimes we say, cut it with a knife because, oh, you can feel we got to be careful. They're so short-fused. Not God. Slow to anger. Nahum 1.3, it just says it in such direct, direct means. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power. Now, again, let's, let's extrapolate a little bit. Okay, slow to anger, great power. You know, sometimes we think that the greater power we have, the greater the uh, opportunity for anger. Do you know the greatest power, that is Almighty God, the greatest power is the one who is the slowest to anger. 
There'd be some valuable things for all of us. The more authority that you have, the more responsibility you have to reign in and be that one who is like God, slow to anger. He's of great power. And and how does he practice? How does he use anger? Slow to anger. The same admirable quality that we see in God is what he's inviting us to emulate. Proverbs 15, 18, a wrathful man stirreth up strife, but he that is slow to anger appeaseth strife. Proverbs 16, 32, he that is slow to anger is better than the mighty. He that ruleth his spirit than he that taketh a city. Proverbs 19, 11, the discretion of a man deferreth his anger and it is his glory to pass over a transgression. Okay, one of the early church fathers said in effect these words now this is i've just um i've i've put it in my own words but this is what chrysostom said he said he that is angry without cause sins if you're angry without cause that sin but now anger defended but he who is not angry when there is a cause also sins you say so So you mean, I'm really, I'm kind of a mellow person. Do you know, if there is something over which we should be angered, and we are not, there's a problem there. Now, many times we fall on the other side. We get angry when we shouldn't. That's sin. But on the opposite side of that, in defense of anger, there are some things that are a cause. David asked the question, guys, seriously, is there not a cause? Yes, there was. The, the, the holiness of God was being blasphemed by a Philistine on the field of battle, and he was being left unanswered for 40 days. And David looks around him and he says, seriously, is there not a cause? Can you hear some righteous indignation in his voice? When did Jesus display anger when he is um, here on this earth. Well, he did so at the temple. We understood it there. He does so with the Pharisees. We understand it there. And over what is Jesus, you know, just vehemently voicing his displeasure? Over what? Well, when his father is being brought into the question. Now, what is it that then motivates the anger? I would say it is the righteous love that always incites the righteous anger. Righteous love incites the righteous anger. Okay, if you see somebody that's being mistreated that you say that you love and you do nothing, we would think that your love is then brought into question. Wow, there's something happening. This is a person that I love and they're being mistreated and you do nothing. Somebody's going to stand back and say, do you, do you really love them? There's all kinds of mistreatment that takes place in the world. We're well aware of that. Why is it that we're not continually motivated to right those wrongs? Probably because we, we don't have that connection of love. But if that were your family, if that were your, your mother, your father, your sister, your brother, your close friend, your spouse, your child... Oh, how we are then moved to action, understandably so, because now our righteous love has incited our righteous anger. True anger, 
in its purest form is motivation to protect that which you love. True, right anger, where does that come from? It comes from, wow, I have to protect something that I love. And it becomes useful, becomes like, wow, this is a motivation for me. Hey, listen, we can say, because I love my family, I am angry at the sin that is trying to creep in. And so with a righteous indignation, no, not that we're, not that we're angry at our family, we might be angry at something that this is doing to a family member. Sometimes I think, even as a, as a teenager, I had a hard time understanding that. I thought maybe my parents are, are, they are just mad at me. No, 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 what they were mad at is what sin was doing to me. Now they're trying to right that wrong and they're targeting with, with a surgical precision the problem that sin is causing in my life. They're angry at the sin, not really at me. Thinking about the motivation of anger, Martin Luther, the, 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 the one back from the, the days of the Reformation, Martin Luther once wrote, I never work better than when I am inspired of anger. When I am angry, I can write, pray, and preach well. And then my whole temperament is quickened, my understanding sharpened, and my mundane vexations and temptations depart. Do you know what Martin Luther's saying? He's not saying, I just want to be mad at the world. He's not saying that. What he's saying is, when I am rightly angry at the wrong, I am rightly motivated for the right. When you and I love correctly, we're, we're going to also have a right sense of anger directed toward, precisely driven toward the right things. Anger gets derailed when our love becomes disordered. In other words, when something gets in the way of what I want, our anger, not our righteous indignation, our anger can become inflamed. Then we desire to hurt back because something or someone has gotten in the way of what I love as it pertains to self. So we start to ask, how can I know if my anger is righteous or not? If you look at your heart in the things you love and ask, what am I defending? You will know what kind of anger you have. Look in your heart at the things you love and ask, what am I defending? It starts to reveal what kind of anger do I have? So often I'm defending something that is connected to my ego something that's connected to my pride, not to the holiness and the purity and the beauty of my God. Often, it can be easily discerned when we're asking, whose rights am I defending? Mine or someone else's? Seldom is righteous anger the product of defending my own rights. And man, I'm telling you, if you wanted to start listening, what rights do we have? Whoa, boy, we can put together a wonderful list. I wrote down just a few. A right to express my personal opinion. I have a right to. A right to be respected. A right to be understood. A right to be appreciated. A right to be treated fairly. A right to belong, to be loved, to be accepted. 
a right to make our own decisions, a right to determine our own future, a right to be considered important, a right to be cared for, a right to have fun, a right to have others obey us, a right to our own way, a right to be free from so many challenges and difficulties. Okay, now let me ask, truly, if we just boil it all down, what rights as a Christian do you and I claim? As a Christian, what do we claim? In Romans chapter 12, we, we saw that we are to be crucified with Christ. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you submit yourselves, you offer yourselves this living sacrifice, holy acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Do you know really what we're saying is, God, I am transferring my rights to you. Lord, will you look after that which belongs to you? Okay, um, how many of you have ever had your car damaged by somebody else? Raise your hand. Your car damaged by somebody else, okay? Um, you ever get bothered by that? How about even somebody else is, is, I don't know, they're driving your car and they're acting somewhat foolishly with your car. The car gets damaged and they were, okay, ay, ay, ay. It's a little bothersome. Um, how about, are you bothered when somebody else's car gets dinged up? You might feel sad for them, but are you bothered? Do you get hot when somebody else's car gets damaged? You say, no, it's not my car. Do you know, when you and I take our rights and we transfer them to God, now God is the one responsible for our care. It's no longer, in a sense, it's no longer my primary responsibility, but the responsibility of the one to whom I have offered and transferred my rights. You say, well, well what do we do then with this matter of our anger? We admit it. It is probably one of the most humbling things for us to do. Admit, who, Lord, if I see my anger is spurned on by my love for self, not a righteous anger, the first thing I have to do is acknowledge this anger before you. It is the place of turning when we humbly come before God and acknowledge our anger. You say, then what we, do we do? We start to reveal it. Ask, why am I angry? What's my source of anger? And oftentimes it can be a little unsettling because it's not pretty to look at when it is connected to self. And then lastly, transform it. Dearly beloved, in Romans 12, 19, he says, dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place, make room for, give place unto wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Do you know what this ultimately is? Making room for the wrongdoings of others, not avenging yourself. What it is, is it is the power of love. For a believer to say, God, 
I love you more than I love myself will always produce the right kind of anger. In Luke chapter 10, verse 27, and he answering said, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy strength, with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. When I love the Lord my God with all that I have, and then I love my neighbor instead of myself, my anger begins to experience a discipline that becomes slow to the injustices that may actually happen to me and rightly targeted, not defending self, but connecting its anger to our Savior, Jesus Christ. May, with God's help, we be slow to anger. And may it not be connected to ourselves, but to him.